Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit. And I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit. And we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Welcome to episode 78 of The Future Belongs to Creators. My co-host right now is an empty chair. We'd love to hear in the chat, red, yellow, green, how are you doing? Sign off there. And then also drop some questions. Today, as you know, it's Q&A Friday and we'll answer all of your questions. And look at that. Welcome back to my wonderful co-host. How's the coffee? Mm, delicious. Just adds so much nice bouginess to it to warm up your own oat milk at home, you know? Exactly. Watching me get up to go get my coffee is kind of like watching Mr. Rogers take his shoes off and put his slippers. It's the same kind of thing, you know, just relatable. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, I was thinking Barrett Brooks, Mr. Rogers, like totally on the same level. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Give me 20 years. <laughs> Barrett Brooks, cultural icon. It'll happen. I'm certain of it. On that note, how you doing, Barrett? I am green today. Why is that? Well, it's been a good week. We had our first ever virtual team retreat. We've now done nine retreats since you and I started working together. Yep. You and I personally have probably been on 15 retreats now in total, somewhere in there. Of various, whether mastermind or... Yeah, or team retreats. Team retreats, yeah. That's interesting and kind of fun. Some serious history building there. Let's see what else is going on. I have my nice new swag from ConvertKit. We got swag for the team. It says the future belongs to creator. We're not big on just putting our name everywhere, which is probably somewhat dumb in that the whole point is to get your name everywhere. I don't know. We're trying to get a mission everywhere. I got this sweet Patagonia backpack. Uh-huh. It says future blocks to creators. Waterproof. So we did some nice Patagonia swag. We love Patagonia. We are big fans of their mission and just the way they operate. So it was fun to get aligned with them. Yeah, it's been a good week. I feel like I kind of slowed down a little bit on Thursday and Friday after the retreat and just kind of catching up on my priorities. If anyone wants to know what the priorities of a COO, a software company look like, they are preparing hiring plans for 2021 and making sure we have the right team structure in place to support that. Preparing for a board meeting in three weeks that we have. Yep. It is recruiting a VP of product, refining our company values based on a recent team meeting. That's the kinds of things I work on these days. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, no one actually cares. I just thought I'd share. There are very few actual tasks that I can do. It's more of just like managing and influencing towards outcomes. Just a fascinating, fascinating way to be day-to-day. Lots of strategy, lots of time spent on where do we sit in our market? Where is the long-term opportunities? All that kind of thing. Yep. Did you already tell them how you're doing? How are you doing, Nathan? I haven't yet, but thanks for asking. I'm green today. Today's a sitting episode because I went on a run yesterday and my calves really hurt. I have to tell you about this run briefly. So we did a 5K, right? We have a wellness program like all companies do. Everyone pulled together. We did a 5K. It was virtual. And so you just had to put it together on Strava. My goal, I'm not a runner. I like to play soccer. So there's running involved, but like, I I don't like running. But I was like, all right, let's do this. And so I wanted to get a time under 24 minutes. That was my goal. Mark, one of our engineers was like, I'm going to coach you. He was not the coach that I asked for, but he would like text me. I would wake up in the morning and he'd be like, hey, I got my five miles in. Like, have you run yet? And of course he's on Eastern time. So he's gotten it in well before I was even awake. So that's all going on. But he's been pushing me, you know, trying to get me to get a time under 24 minutes. And I went for my run yesterday because of the smoke. I had trained even less than I expected, but I got it. I pulled it off in 
23 minutes and 59 seconds. I ran until that thing on Strava said 3.1 miles and I stopped immediately after that. Felt like I might throw up, but didn't. And I felt so good. And then I got on the product team call and Sai, one of our product managers who's in Canada goes, oh, that's great. Hold on. I just pulled up your run on Strava and it says 4.99 kilometers. Oh no. DQ'd. And like the whole team was like, yeah, it doesn't count. And I was like, no, it totally counts. They're like, well, that's 10 meters. Do you think you could have run 10 meters in two seconds? And I'm like, no, I can't run 10 meters in two minutes. So they're like, so an official distance. Like anyway, the team was harassing me. I posted on Twitter. Other people were giving me a hard time. Teddy, our beloved Teddy, sided with the rest of the team and posted a gif of dropping the football on the one yard line. So anyway, I don't know if I need to go run that again or if I don't cave into the peer pressure and just stick with, I checked it off. I did 3.1 miles. We're calling it good. Yeah, otherwise I'm good. Oh, the other thing, separate from running. I don't know the opposite of running. Did anyone tune into the creator session that just happened? Drop it some notes in the chat if you did with Pat Casso. That was fantastic. So much fun. Performance painting, you know, real time, paired up with a DJ. The production quality on everything that they did was so good. We always have this fun experience because we're like involved in creator sessions in that we provide some input and write the checks. <laughs> we don't even write the checks. We write the, like provide the overall budget and that's it. So then we just show up on Fridays and we like, like I turn on the TV and sat down and watch it. And it, it, it was so good. Brought me joy. I was kind of in a little like creative funk beforehand mm. and then got through that and was like, all right, let's go make some stuff. So very inspiring. That was a long intro, but I loved it. No. Yeah. Pat Casso is, he's a performance painter is what he calls himself. And he and his partner in crime, DJ, Easy Rock DJs, Pat Casso paints to the music. And so he did two performances, one where he painted Einstein and one where he painted a painting inspired by the documentary 13th, which is about the 13th Amendment that ended slavery and just like how the prison system has continued to perpetuate a lot of the systems that existed under slavery. And it was just awesome. Like it engaged so much. This is a little weird side topic, but the team was talking about ASMR, this like tingly feeling on your scalp that a lot of people get from like different stuff. I don't get it from any of the stuff that people do online, which is very odd to me, like all the like whispering stuff or whatever they do. There's two times when it happens to me. One is performance art like that, where multiple of my senses are engaged. And the other is when I get haircuts. I don't know why. So I got that during the thing. And then he talked about as a performer, when you have two senses engaged, things like hearing color or seeing taste or things like that. Right. And I found that was really fascinating and kind of reflected what I was feeling as I watched. So anyways, it was really good. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. It's on the YouTube channel. You're already on right now as a live listener. <laughs> okay, we got two questions that we can kick it off with as others drop their questions in for us. One was about refining company values and just kind of like what that looks like. I don't know if it was a serious question, but we can dive into that a little bit. And the second was about what is a wellness program and like what do we do internally related to that? Right. Maybe let's start with the wellness program one. I guess this probably started when your executive assistant joined the company, maybe? Was that when it started? No, I think Ashley probably even started it before that. Ashley, who's our director of operations. Okay. So the whole idea is, well, when you're running any company, but for us, when we're running a remote company, you don't get all of the interaction, number one, that you do normally in an office or with happy hours or lunches or whatever that you might with colleagues normally. And there's no, let's go out for a day of doing something active together or to go volunteer or something like that. Right. 
And so the idea of the wellness program was to create coordinated opportunities for people to focus on their sense of well-being aside from their work. So that might be something like trying working out as a habit for a month, or in this case, running a 5K. And we've done all kinds of different stuff over time. We tried meditation for a month. So the idea behind it is forming healthy habits that increase your sense of well-being both in and out of work. And it's been really fun. It's been like kind of a mainstay of our culture over time. And some people participate, some people don't, but I think the ones who do really have a blast with it. Yeah, I think probably a little over half the team participates depending on the topic or whatever else. We often tie it into a team retreat. We did one around financial wellness. We do profit sharing, right? So we're like, here's $10,000. And we realized, hey, we should also have conversations about financial goals and getting things in a good place. That was really fun because we got to know people a lot better, you know, as to what their individual goals were, what they were saving towards. It was fascinating. Some people were saving like 30 or 40% of their salary and some people were like, savings? That's something I should be doing. Okay. You know, and you got some some good conversations going there. Another favorite wellness program was a burpee challenge. And we did that on Marco Polo. So just everyone signing in with their little Marco Polo things, getting their burpees done. And it just built up. I, I think it was like three burpees the first day or something and just kind of ramped up from there until it turned into a lot. So this is something, a couple things. One, you get closer and you get a new perspective on whoever you do it with. And then two, it kind of changes your habits as you get this motivation and input from other people. If you don't have a company, right? You're not like, oh, let's do with our 10 people. Let's do our wellness challenge. Instead, like do it with other creators. Like, can you pull together your mastermind group or something else and say, hey, what we're doing here is great. The sessions or whatever we hang out. But what if we did our own little 5K? Or what if we all did daily meditation for a month and then see what sticks after that? So it doesn't have to be through a company. You can just pull it together however you want. Just get a group and work to self-improve together. Yep, totally. The other question, just real quick, I'll just provide an answer on the values thing. We've had the same company values for four years or something like that. Sounds about right. And they're very intentional. Like they've always represented our intentions. And now we've just been around long enough. We've lived them long enough to know, you know, that quote about, I don't know if this is actually what sculptors experience, but starting with a piece of material rock of some kind, whatever, and that their job is to reveal the statue that is within the rock as it is. Right. I kind of think of refining our values like that. It's It's not that we're going to change the values we operate on. It's that we wanted to check in and refine the existing values to provide more clarity to the team, number one, and to more accurately reflect what we are trying to live out as a company. And so some of that will just result in like small tweaks to two or three values that give us more clarity, allow us to better reflect our intentions behind them, and ideally give the team a better sense of how to act those out in their day-to-day work. So that's the basic gist there. Yep. I wrote an article about some of this titled, What's Your System for Establishing Principles? And it basically is an idea for how you go about taking random, vague ideas, things you live out, and bringing them all the way through into concrete principles. I'll drop that in the chat there. It's an older post, but I think it has some good stuff and kind of mocks out what would it look like if you had a Trello board where you built those out. Because I think everyone, we know with values or principles, they think that, oh, we go from we don't have them and then we'll go away and we'll do some retreat for the weekend or silent meditation or I don't know what. And then we'll come out with these perfect, well-formed values. And like the reality is that's not how it works. Like everything in a creative environment, it comes from iteration over time. Mm -hmm. Yep, totally. Okay, next question from... Hustle Savvy. Hustle Savvy, I assume that's your brand. If you want to drop your name name in, we can personalize it. But let's see, question. If you're pivoting to a new niche, 
niche, what would you do to refine your content strategy and define your potential products? Okay, so you're pivoting from one thing to a new thing. How do you refine content and product strategy in the process? Hmm. So let me break this down to a couple of questions that'll help us maybe tackle this. So the first thing is, would we wipe the slate clean of existing content and products, first of all? Secondly, if you're basically starting clean, but maybe you have a little bit of audience momentum, you know, my guess is you're pivoting because you have some momentum, but not as much as you hoped for, or your enthusiasm for the topic has changed. What do you do with that audience? And then how do you design kind of a strategy from scratch on what I call a product portfolio and then a content strategy? So let's start at the top. If you're pivoting, do you wipe the slate clean of all the content that you've already made? I wouldn't. Content's too much work to make. So my default would be no. And let's try to bring people over who, you know, are following me and not just for whatever topic. If you're all the way in one niche and this other thing is all the way in this other niche, then okay. There are times where it's like, these are so different that we just want a new audience. And in that case, I would probably send an email or some posts saying like, hey, I'm now publishing over here. Like at least let them know. The more that you work in your own personal story and all of that into your content, the more people will be following you rather than just the niche. They'll find you for the specific niche and then they'll start following you. And if you pivot, some number will go from there. What would you say? Would you wipe the slate clean? Depends on how far apart the topics are. Yeah. You know, if I was going from like two of my interests are sustainable fashion and fly fishing. If I were going from sustainable fashion to fly fishing, I would wipe it clean. If I was going, as I am starting to do in my personal work, going from like how to find a meaningful career to how to tackle some of the most important problems in the world and politics, climate change, education, things like that. No, I'm going to keep all my existing work and I'll just parlay the idea of building a career around these issues to tie all of it together. And I think that my audience, because they know how particular I am about, you know, all of the different things I care about, they'll understand that some of them will leave and some of them will stay and that'll be great. And so I think it really just depends depends on the circumstances in terms of how close are the two things together and are the same people who cared about the old thing going to care about the new thing. An example of this, Rick Tarosi, who is a fantastic community builder in the startup community here in Portland, he runs one of the local accelerators. He's had this site called siliconflores.com forever. And it's a Portland and Pacific Northwest startup community, kind of new site, kind of like TechCrunch for Portland, but it's just one guy running it. Yeah. He knows a lot about the broader startup ecosystem, especially community builders in the ecosystem. And so he's thought about trying out either like a Substack or a convert kit for running a newsletter letter about the broader community. Yep. And he was asking whether he thinks that he should create a new brand or just extend his existing work. And people gave differing opinions. My opinion is he should just extend his existing work because it's a natural progression to say, here's Portland stuff. Here's wider startup stuff. And they both matter to each other because Portland is part of the broader startup system. I don't see any need to wipe the slate clean or start with a new audience. I think he could just maybe segment his audience if some people want to hear about the wider system and some people don't. Yeah. Yep, totally. So the other part of that question is around refining your content strategy and defining your potential products. That's really the same. It doesn't change whether you were here and now you're over here or if you just started here and you're going forward. The only difference is that you have some learnings. So one thing that I would try to do is as you're making that pivot, at least try to document those learnings and then try to note, you know, when I launched this product over here, what did I learn that's like a general principle about launching products? And what did I learn that's specific to this audience? Because what I, I would hate to see happen is for someone to say, launch a product in one niche and then years later, move on from that and go to launch a product in a new niche and think that those people are going to behave the same way. 
I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but like, oh, you know, no one's on YouTube. No one pays attention to that. It's like, no, 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 no one in your old niche was on YouTube, but in the new niche, it might work really well. So just always make note of those learnings, do a retro on your product launch or, you know, your content strategy for the year and how it's gone, any of those things, and make sure to differentiate the learnings you think are broader principles from the learnings that you believe are specific to a single niche. Love it. Okay, next question. How is ConvertKit Commerce doing? Is it still in beta or has it been released to everyone? I was just pulling up our dashboard here. So how is it doing? We measure progress of commerce in terms of something called GMV, which is gross merchandise volume. What that means is the number of dollars sold of products by creators on the platform. So that's not how much money we make. It's how much money creators make. That's a common term in the startup world. Our goal over time is for creators to earn a billion dollars on the ConvertKit platform. That'll be a combination of through ConvertKit Commerce and through our integration partners. So we consider... Well, we've actually already hit it through our integration partners. Yes, we have. And so now we're building on that. Our new goal is the next billion should be just on ConvertKit. And one of the reasons we measure ourselves in that way is our mission, as many of you know, is to help creators earn a living. And what better way to measure that than by the amount of money that they make? And ideally, over time, the average amount of money a creator makes on the platform. So our GMV to date is just under $117,000 in a relatively short time since launch. Is that eight weeks, I think? Yeah, like eight weeks, which is, you know, is that a world-beating number? No. Does it show that there's a lot of potential here? Yes, for sure. In terms of, maybe you can answer the second part, Nathan, kind of how are we doing in the beta and who's it been released to so far? Yeah, so the beta's gone really, really well, better than we expected. So we want to keep all the momentum going there. It is just in the US right now. We've actually are testing in Canada, I think over the next week or so. I I think we have like three or four customers in Canada using it for testing. And we hope to go wider there. And then it looks like Australia is going to be right after that. So the things that we're working on is recurring payments and expanding into more countries. And that'll be followed up with discount codes. We kind of have this difficult thing of from a feature side, it's ready to turn on for a lot of people, except we have to make sure at the moment that they're in the United States. And that's something that we haven't done before. So we still have our beta process. I think it'd be frustrating for users if they logged in and saw the products tab and they're like, oh, and oh, I'm not in the U.S. And so because of that, we're still keeping it in a limited beta. But I think in the next month or two, we'll have it in a broader beta where people aren't having to request access. We're able to tell, hey, you're in the US, you're in Canada, you're in Australia, you know, any of these initial markets that we're launching into and going from there. And as we keep learning international banking and money transfer rules, we'll keep rolling out to more and more countries. Oh, the joys of the details of rolling out a commerce product. I expect that next year will be well into the millions of dollars of GMV for the year. I don't know what our goals are going to look like, but you know, I think we'll probably have our sights set on a million dollars a month as kind of like the next big milestone yep. heading into the new year. Because I think we should be able to get close to kind of that 100K a month pretty quickly here, seeing the volume so far. So yeah, if anyone's curious for more about the business model on that side of the business, we make money off of the credit card processing fees, which are three And we make just under 1% of that. So like the bulk of that gets passed on to the credit card companies, two and a half percent roughly does. And so then we make our little bit for the hosting and running the platform and everything off of that difference on what goes to Visa and MasterCard versus what stays for us. Love it. Nathan, we don't have any more questions in our queue, but one common interview question that we don't ask, but that sometimes interviewers ask is, what is the question you wish we had asked you that you would love to answer before we wrap up? So what is the question you wish creators would be asking us right now? Oh man, thinking about that. I'm trying to think what's on my mind. 
feel like we answer a lot of questions on the show. And so I don't know that I have too many more. Is there one that comes to mind for you as I turn this back on you as I think for a second? So I have kind of like two veins. Yeah. One is something along the lines of like, what is ConvertKit going to do for me over the next 10 years? Mm-hmm. In other words, what is the role ConvertKit going to play in the growth of the creator economy? And what do I have to look forward to? And then the second one would be, what are the trends, if any, that are going to significantly change my reality as a creator over the next three to five years? You know, should I be ready for anything that's coming my way that's going to significantly change the business model or the way that I build an audience or anything like that? Those are probably the two biggest ones, but we're always thinking out in the future. So that seems obvious. Let's go to that second one okay. of the trends and things that are happening because that, that sparks something. We could probably do a full episode on this. I think that the broader entertainment world, so let's say from reality TV to what's on Netflix to music, art, all of that, right? That is one thing. And then there's sort of this other creator world and a subset in it. Let's go to say the bloggers and podcasters. And there's very different budgets at play there. There's very different audience sizes, levels of fame, everything else. One thing that I think is going to be true is as these two circles merge, right? Like podcast movement, you know, they just booked Mark Cuban for one of the their keynote sessions, right? And you're like, Mark Cuban, that's weird. But then you realize, oh no, okay, his with broadcasting.com. Like, okay, I'm starting to see some overlap there. You're seeing like, oh, podcasting is going mainstream, which if you're a small podcaster, you're like, that's amazing. But also there's this other thought of like, now in your space, the best creators in the world are playing in that space. And so you actually have to level up. What if, you know, that podcast that you're competing with is started by a celebrity athlete? You know, on one hand, it validates everything that you're doing and validates the space. And it's not like, oh, you have a podcast guys, that's cute. It's like, oh, nice. I've been loving the podcast. But on the other hand, the budget, the bar for quality, the consistency that you have to have and the standards that you hold yourself to as far as continually leveling up, get a lot higher. And so I think what's going to happen is as these like professional creators merge with the indie creators is that the indie creators are going to have to keep accelerating their abilities and leveling up their quality and commitment in order to keep up. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Here's a great example of this in my own world. I think I've talked about this on the show before, but you search Barrett Brooks and Google, and this is even personalized results, okay? I am Barrett Brooks. <laughs> and what do you get? You get a bio of Barrett Brooks, the former Philadelphia Eagle in the National Football League, who's now a sports broadcaster who has a growing personal brand. Right. Because again, you see these worlds of athletics, music, podcasting, even like direct-to-consumer brands, like it's all merging into one thing. And kind of every human is becoming a media company. Increasingly, that is the way the market, the job market, the just employment market overall, how you earn money, diversifying your income, that's how it works. Now, is that true at Fortune 500 companies? No, those are all the people who still put in their Twitter bio that they shouldn't be confused with speaking for the company or whatever. Right. But more and more, you're going to see this stuff where you're going to get a celebrity encroaching on your space. This page used to belong to me. I had every link on the first page of Google and now I've got half of them and I'm not first and it's annoying and I should start writing more. That's my takeaway. But I think you're totally right that as worlds converge, two things are going to come out of that. One is what you mentioned. The other is that the market's going to grow a lot Mm -hmm. as celebrities make more podcasts like Brie Larson, Captain Marvel made her YouTube show as a part of just like being home during 
during the pandemic, okay, that's the kind of thing that's happening now. Will that continue to be on the pandemic? I think so. I think some of that will stick around as people realize, oh, I can have my own stream of work here, my own audience that follows me wherever I go. Right. And there's going to be a lot of power in that and that will build the market up. And so as long as you can meet this minimum bar of quality and maintain interest in a dedicated audience, I think it's going to be good for everyone. It's just going to mean you have to treat it more and more like you're a professional, you know, and that you have to show up consistently and do good quality work for people. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, with all change, there's pros and cons. And so I think as a creator, you should be really excited, but you should also be ready for the fact that you're going to be called to a higher level of, of craft and quality. Yep, for sure. Maybe we'll do another one on just like where ConvertKit is going and how we want to serve the creator market over time. Because I think there's probably a lot there. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd love to hear if you're a regular listener to the show, you can submit questions to us anytime on Twitter, by email, in the chat here. And we'd love to hear them. We'd love to dig into like meaty topics that are fascinating to you and fascinating to us. So let us know if you want us to talk about anything in upcoming episodes. Sounds good. Okay. I don't have a creator. Do you have creators? Yeah. Creator of the day. That's good. Okay, you're up. That was good. I know I'm pulling it up real quick. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, one of my favorite creators is my chiropractor. This is another example of worlds merging. Dr. Monstrat Andres is located here in Portland. She is primarily specializing in working with performing artists. That's kind of like her niche that she's carved out. She has like a general practice as well. Obviously, if you sign up, I would say her her like broader market would be athletes of any kind. And then she'll see people who know the athletes and performing artists that she works with. And She's fantastic. She's a ConvertKit customer. She sends out a newsletter on wellness resources. She's got a great YouTube channel where she shows physical therapy exercises and just other strengthening and mobility type stuff. One of my favorite things, though, was Lin-Manuel Miranda did another show called In the Heights. Very good about community in New York. And when it came to Portland for a run, Dr. Andres got to be the physical therapist and chiropractor for the whole cast. Oh, wow. In her therapy room, she's got like a poster signed by the entire cast on the back of her door. And I just think it's so awesome to see, number one, how someone can carve out a niche like that, really specialize and go deep in an area of like chiropractic where everyone's kind of a generalist, you know? Right. And then number two, that she's built a thriving business off of that and that she's starting to take that online as a way of diversifying that business. So anyways, if you're in a service-oriented business, maybe you're in the medical field of some kind, maybe you have some kind of like very specific service that feels like a lot of the things we talk about don't apply, she'd be an interesting person to look at and just see kind of how she's starting to build beyond the therapy room into something that's more all-encompassing online as well. So shout out to Dr. Andres. Hopefully she hears this. Sounds good. I did think of a resource that I want to share. I was looking back at both books that I've read and and that kind of thing this year. And I may have shared this already, but if I did, it was probably 65 episodes ago. And so, you know, it's good to share again. This is a book, it's relatively short. I'm gonna say it's not the best written book, but the stories are really, really compelling. It's titled Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. It just jumps between a handful of these stories. They all take place in the 1800s and they're just fascinating. And they're people that I hadn't heard of before. The stories range from being involved in the gold rush to buying real estate in Memphis to starting, you know, a 
hair care products empire. So lots of really interesting stories. It's a relatively short book and I really enjoyed it because it got a whole new range of historical characters that I hadn't encountered before. Love it. I got nothing for a resource today. So we balance each other out. That's right. One creator of the day, one resource. Oh, good stuff. Okay. Well, another Friday is behind us. Nathan, good work to all of you in the audience. We love you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday. All right. Bye-bye. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Thank you.